Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made four low-budget feature films of varying success, and I've been to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length films on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Welcome back to Discount Film School. Okay, um... If you haven't listened to the first part of this, you need to go over to Lone Holdout, which is another show that we're running on the network, hosted by Emily Brinkmeyer, uh, who's also appeared on How Are We, and she has her own show over there, a wonderful show, where she tries out different things every week with uh, kind of a rotating guest, and um, I've guested there a number of times. This week, I guested to talk about my filmmaking background which we've probably exhausted on this show so if you feel like you're kind of caught up on that um you don't necessarily have to listen to it although the second half you may want to because i introduced her to a few three movies she had never seen before and those were american movie ed wood and hearts of darkness all of which i think any filmmaker out there could agree are uh, uh filmmaking manifestos in their own right and if you haven't seen them kids i've got homework for you this is discount film school after all the curriculum says go watch those movies especially american movie um emily say hello to the discount film school listening hi audience. thanks for having me she uh emily this is kind of part two this is kind of the jetsons to her flintstones um in the crossover emily is a, a writer and an editor, uh, both of news and literature. And uh, uh, she, I gave her an opportunity to edit her first book, her first real book. Earlier this year, I had, I believe that's true. She's going to tell us whether or not that's true. Um, earlier this year, I had told myself I was going to write a book on filmmaking. I started writing a little blog on the making of having fun up there, and it turned into kind of a, uh, a little filmmaking Bible of experiences and stories. It's called More Weight. The Making of Having Fun Up There and Other Filmmaking Tales. And I would say it's due out in probably about three weeks to a month from this recording, which is on June 22nd. You can look for it in July. Emily uh, uh, took the baton and became the editor and the layer outer of the book. And I want to, you know, I, one thing I don't want to do is, even though this is about filmmaking, I don't want to pigeonhole us into, you know, if just be, you know, you have to carry around a camera to be an artist. I want to learn about uh, what went into Emily's life up to this point where, where this major milestone, which is to edit my <laughs> bullshit, <laughs> finally took place. So, Emily. Yes. Bring us up to, you asked me on the last show, to, uh, you know, how, how was I introduced to my art? How were you introduced to your art? Uh, well, if my father is to be believed, uh, I did a Father's Day episode recently, and he said that I started reading when I was three years old. Now, I mean, I'm kind of a firm believer that parents like to gloss over what actually happened when their children were little, so I'll take that with a grain of salt. But I was an avid reader, very young, um, always had an interest in literature. Uh, I had similar feelings to what I feel now as I do my podcast, that, that there's something out there that I'm missing, that I need to mm -hmm. have completed all of the classics. I need to keep up with all the new stuff. And you felt this way, like, at a really young age? Like, even that, that feeling of, like, I'm missing something. Uh, he, when I say young, maybe middle school. But there were there was quite a bit of reading uh, an old episode of Hawaii that I was on. We talked about my uh, affection for the Babysitter's Club series. There was, yeah, mm. quite a bit of the classics for when we were little. The 
Ramona books. Uh, there was a series called The Saddle Club. Uh, Goosebumps. Hey, I. I read every every damn book. Every of it up every until, single think, bump. Up to I think well yeah that's very cute. Uh, up, up until <laughs> maybe Egg Monsters from Mars I think is where I checked out. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> Well, go back and take it. You're missing out oh, on my, it, okay? You're missing. I have an eight-year-old, and she has been bringing home Goosebumps books from the school library. So oh, my goodness. I know. That is a blast from the past. You can read them in a day, so maybe that's why people like those. Oh, we could. I, I don't know that an eight-year-old can. Oh, I did. I was when I was, a, when I was 10, my fifth grade class had the, some sort of a challenge. It was like the reading challenge, and the more oh. every time you read a Every time you read a book, you got like a, a personal pan pizza from Pizza yes. Hut. It's not a book. I think that you have to log a certain number of minutes these, these days, yeah. but they still do it with Pizza Hut. So uh, with yeah, Pizza I do Hut. have, um, I don't, your audience who listens, since you have a higher listenership to the show than I do to mine. Um, the highest rated show on our network. Thank you very much. Very listeners. nice. Congratulations. I yeah. am. I, I am in competition with Rage Quit and usually have fewer listeners, even though I have more episodes, but I'm not bitter or anything. It's just Rage Quit being our video. It's game just podcast. that, you know, podcast glass ceiling that we've got. No. Yes, yes, it's but, true. But uh, for your list. <laughs> All these podcasts are always smacking Lone Hold out on the ass. And t- <laughs> Uh, so for your listeners, I have three young children. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a little baby. So, uh, yeah, she's 18 months. So, yeah. I did. Do they still have this? Do they still? Did you, wherever it was you grew up, <laughs> or do they still now have the Scholastic Book Fair? Yes. And then they also have book orders. And the kids actually get pretty excited about it. Um, they, you know, give them some money, take it to the book fair, trust them with money, which is kind of nice at an early age to be trusted with making decisions. So, I'm surprised they didn't. They haven't moved that to like online delivery by this point or something with eBooks and whatnot. No, they my my kids don't do a whole lot of eBook reading. I don't. Even though they have the tablets, they just use them for games. Uh, the, watching Angry Birds videos, yes, videos about Angry Birds that people have made. <laughs> yeah. Not even like. I mean, I'm glad. Sorry. I'm glad I'm glad that they still do. I, I love the brick and mortar bookstore. I like the smell of paper. And I, I, I think that like there's a I don't know, not to get too romantic about it, but I think that like the relationship between a person and a and a book. Um, I don't maybe you're the reader and the writer. You tell me. Uh, I do have a, a bunch of books that I could never give up. I recently moved from Alaska to Texas. And that was one of the things I had to make sure to have was I've got a very old copy of Gone with the Wind that was actually printed before the movie came out. So mm. um, I've got a very rare biography of Lincoln uh, that is hard to find. It's by Dale Carnegie, the guy that wrote um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's very good. So there's like a stable of books that I can't give up. So it, I will read things online or eBooks, but for the most part, if I need to relax with something that's comforting, it's going to be a paper book. Um, what, what, what's different about it? Well, if you could describe it, uh, like I said, comforting. And this is, but why, but why, but you know, if you have a, if you have the tablet here mm-hmm. right, and you have the book, the, you know, it's, a, it's still a, an object. Why is that? I mean, I well, agree. I just don't know why. I do find that if I'm, if I'm looking online, it's, it's the same as doing research to me. And that's, that's work. It's mm-hmm. not quite the same as a leisure activity. And 
Like this, this book is all that exists in my hands right, right now. Like at one point I was trying to look up an old quote from Gone with the Wind just to try and uh, pin down exactly what it said. Yeah, I can do that. I can type in as much of it as I know into Google and it comes up. That's research to me. That's something that I'd be doing if I was working. But if I right. want to have an emotional purge, which I do sometimes, I'm a lady, uh, I will just sit down and reread the last chapter of Gone with the Wind and sob my eyes out. You know that Nina's a big Gone with the Wind oh, person, right? that's so nice. She, she almost tossed her copy of it, which she got from her grandmother. Not that she's particularly emotional with her grandmother, but I was like, don't you throw out that fuck Because she was going to go all ebook with it, and I was like, don't you fucking throw out Mm-mm. that Gone with the Wind copy. And she's very glad that she well, did That's good. Um, and it actually, for, for her, it's the 75th anniversary this year, so uh, mm. maybe I need to that's ask a- Nina to come to Atlanta with me and uh, check it out, see if there's any like tourist activities. That'd be pretty great. Yeah, isn't isn't that the th- don't they have a theater there that plays it on loop or something? Uh, I think that's a rumor, or it used to be true, but it's not. Or it always it's like the longest running film of all time, or something. Maybe I'm I don't. Not. Know. You don't know. All you know is the book. I do enjoy the book. I mean, there's, yeah. uh, there is a difference between books and movies. There has to be. You can't film every aspect of a book. It's just the way it is. But the two kind of exist. Uh, together for me. There are another old book that I like is Rebecca, which was made into a Hitchcock film in also in the thirties and, or maybe it was the forties, but those two exist together for me, even though there are details that are missing. That's okay. You know, I enjoy them both together as a unit. So I think this Atlanta idea is a very good idea and we should put a pin in that. Uh, when you, uh, after you kind of discovered like, so you were reading books at three. I mean, that's pretty, I don't think I supposedly, and I do still have some of the old books that I used to read, uh, that I will read to my children now. Lots of Sesame Street books. I was huge on Sesame Street. I, I, I don't think I could read a full book. I remember my first novel was like a Beverly Cleary book. And, and, and I, I was like six or seven. Well, no, not seven, six. Six, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a lot of Beverly um, Cleary as well. Henry in the Clubhouse, Ramona the Post. Uh, yes, and I've read all of those to my daughter as well. To my Terrible. Ter- terrible. Uh, they made some like in like 2010, they made like a, a movie adaptation of yeah. one of those. And I was like, this is still a thing. <laughs> um, okay. So, so the question is for you, when does it go from, uh, consumption to production? When do you go from, uh, I love reading to, I want to attempt writing? I think I had flashes of it as a kid. I think mostly if I was creating art, it was more of a drawing kind of thing, but, uh, it became more of a writing adventure when I was entering, going into high school, really. Um, So you and I went to high school together. We went to Westport High. I transferred there when I was halfway through my junior year. And I was always very good academically. Um, One of the smart kids, wicked smart. Uh, And so... Fucking smart kids, dude. (laughs) So the assumption was that I should be in the journalism program. Um, so Westport for all of its, uh, being kind of impoverished, uh, the school system, not the town, but yeah, I mean, it's not Baltimore, you know, but right. it, 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 was, it was, there, there were financial woes from the fact that the town did not let in outside business and there wasn't a lot of taxes going into the school system. So it was under level funding, right? Uh, but hmm. it had flashes of brilliance. I would say it had some very good teachers who were very passionate about their work. Hmm. Uh, one of whom, uh, was the teacher for AP English and journalism. Um, and I was in both programs. Uh, and he was very encouraging f- 
for the work that I was doing. Challenging, but encouraging. And I think being told for the first time that you're good at something makes you want to keep doing it. Oh, yeah. So I did... The same guy, by the way, uh, was very discouraging to me. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I was making I Need to Lose 10 Pounds, which we've talked about on this podcast. And he, uh, he caught us shooting, caught us, you know, it was, it, was, it was on the up and up. We were shooting a scene for the movie with our chemistry teacher. And uh, uh, he, he, he had reason to believe that it was somehow problematic. And he tattled on us. And, uh, and, uh, and we, had to, we had to show the movie. We had to show a scene of the movie to like the the higher level administration for some reason. So uh, at the time, well, I was in his English class, and he was teaching us homage to Catalonia, which is uh, a George Orwell book, um, and uh, a Tale of Two Cities, and, and so everything became homage to Catalonia, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a Tale of Two Tattles. Well, that's not quite um, as clever. Well, homage to Catalonia, we felt like that's we really pretty, struck gold there. That's pretty good. <laughs> We wanted to frame that right. one, <laughs> but it was a damn tattletale. But uh, for for his um, certainly female uh, writing students, he was very. Supportive. I, I I we have talked about that <laughs> where you do feel like he's more supportive and kind to his female students, and uh, maybe that's the case. It's hard to know really that, but I was one of them, and he, he was he, very kind and supportive to me. Right. Yeah. Good. No, it's great. And. Also, he didn't tattle on you. That's great. You got away with I got, it. I got away with it. You got away with writing. I almost I almost didn't get away with filmmaking. I'm better, uh, damn it. And also very thorough in his teaching. And so there was um, I, I learned a strong background in things like Shakespeare, uh, the Canterbury Tales, things that insp- that continue to inspire my writing today. Right. But also the other half of that is journalism. And so I learned things like AP style, uh, the mm. rules of uh, laying out a page, InDesign, uh, things that I use in my day job these days. So they actually taught you the software in that class or he taught you the uh, software that's in that class? That's what we used, InDesign. Yeah, which is exact. Or did, did you have to teach yourself? Because a lot of times, um, like I went to Emerson where, you know, if you don't have a handle on the software and some of the technical aspects, you really can't move forward. But one of the problems that Emerson often has is a lot of the faculty feel that it's not their role to teach the mechanics. They feel that it's their role to teach theory and right. concepts. And so they'll send you away and be, you know, they're to lynda.com and be like, teach yourself and then come back. Uh, I was never one of the very high up editorial members, uh, on the, uh, Westport villager, vo- uh, villager staff. So I was a copy editor and like reporter. So there was not a lot of need to teach me to use InDesign much. I could go into an already open program and work with it. So I guess my, my question is, did like, okay, you have an assignment that requires you to use InDesign. How do you know how to use InDesign? Uh, well, that's the thing. Once I got to college, I went to the university of North Texas and kind of bluffed my way into being made the opinion editor on their school newspaper. And I say bluff mm-hmm. because a year and a half of high school journalism is not much. <laughs> I'm not sure that yeah. I knew for sure what AP style was when they said it to me, even though I had been a journalism student kind of. So yeah, bluffed my way into being their opinion editor and learned very quickly how to use the program uh, through daily exposure to it. So Kind of the way I bluffed my way into the job I'm doing right now. They just kind of needed a warm body in the seats. So. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, 
As long as you can bluff that you have skills, you can learn. Yeah, uh, this goes for almost. I'm articulate enough, and I have all my teeth, and I know how to use a computer. So that's really all they were looking for. Sometimes the toothless ones are the most useful. You can just shove them in the back and get amazing work. (laughs) Especially, especially stock boys. Well, I mean, your standards can't can't be too high. Yeah. Right. So, um, so. you know, how much does does that college experience shape who you are at, at this point? Are you going like, OK, this is definitely a career move for me. And and, and are you thinking I'm going to do journalism or are you thinking I'd like to get into uh, uh, writing my own pieces or, you know, where what what is a plan for me? I've here? never been too into journalism. I was the only person on staff at the um, the NT Daily was the name of the newspaper I was working at in college. I was the only member on staff that was not a journalism student. I was an English major. English with a focus on technical writing. And so after... What's, te- what's technical writing for those who don't know? Uh, it's, so it's writing that is not creative writing. So it's uh, instruction <laughs> manuals. Uh, uncreative Uncreative writing. writing. So uh, things like non-journalism uh, work that is also not creative writing. So it's... Uh, yeah, instruction manuals is a big part of it. Uh, yeah, anything that does not require an imagination it requires fact checking it requires style keeping style keeping (laughs) (laughs) is that even a thing well you know what i mean it's like it it becomes more about making sure that you're consistent with a style and and uh, absolutely than than anything else and so i i finished college in three years one of those years i had a baby uh I, so I peaked early, I guess. Right, but for the next right. eight years, I was a housewife, uh, unemployed. But I like to, on you know, bluffing some more on my resume, I will say uh, freelance technical writer. And I did do work in those eight years where I was laying out uh, instruction manuals for uh, training manuals for flaggers, the guys who, you know, stand out on the road and flag people down while they're driving right during construction in right. construction sites. Yeah, I, I took on freelance projects, even though I was eh, unemployed. Didn't you call yourself the copy bitch at the, uh, at the, I, I did not call myself that I had a boss <laughs> who was the copy pimp and he had, that was the copy editor. We, he had two, uh, assistant copy editors. We both female. We were his copy bitches. Oh, so he used yes. that word. Wow. Yeah. That's like that's like a good way to get it's, fired. Yeah, I think a lot of things happen there that people could get fired for, but it was college. Who cares? Really? Yeah. So, so uh, you might have already said this, but maybe I missed it. Did did you or did you did get paid? That was a job. Yes, it was like a hundred dollars a week. It wasn't terribly. Was it kind? Of, was it kind of like a work study sort of thing? Uh, not really. Because um, there was no federal money that went into it. I'm. Not really sure what the difference would be, but I mean, it was staffed by students who were technically getting paid, just not a, not a yeah. living wage at all. Well, what they have at my school is this thing called work study where you, you, um, basically it's a form of financial aid. The government says, okay, you're eligible based on your family's income oh. to not necessarily, uh, uh, get dollars toward tuition, but, um, guaranteed work on campus. No, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. So they, we were hired based on our qualifications or puffed up qualifications that we were lying about (laughs) (laughs) or, or whatever, whatever. And so that's, that's professionally. Um, I do some personal work. I write some awful poetry. I talked on my podcast about a 
uh, play that I'm adapting with my brother. It's fanfic. It's Descri- fanfic. Dude, <laughs> it, it has something to do with a movie, so do describe. Oh, it's, it's a movie, all right. It's a 1993 film uh, that discusses family dynamics and uh, you know, sexual perceptions. It's, it's Mrs. Doubtfire. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's very pretentious. It's so pretentious. This is a childhood movie. A, a, a love of mine since childhood that I shared with my brother. Not very many things go as deeply as this. Uh, Did it start as kind of like a genuine love and then turn into an ironic it's love? It's not kind of even an ironic love now. It's still a genuine love. No. Yeah. Like, like if you're in like the worst mood of your life, like watching some Doubtfire will be uh, quoting out. some Doubtfire. Uh, sure. Shoving yeah. my face into a cake and yelling, hello, you know, there's a, <laughs> <laughs> look at it. She loves uh, it. Yeah. It's, it's working on me. So all I had to do was go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my brother and I both enjoy a book called two gentlemen of Lebowski. And what this is, is a book where, uh, it is the story of the Big Lebowski translated into a Shakespearean play. And we decided we were going to do our own. And it is called Much Ado About Doubtfire. It is Mrs. Doubtfire translated into 100% Shakespearean language, uh, Shakespearean era references. Mm. It's, it's in depth. I had a friend who um, had never tried his hand at screenwriting before, but he really wanted to. He's a really good guy. And he, uh, his big concept was Macbeth as an action movie. <laughs> uh, as, as like a John Woo style action I can movie. kind of see and it. Because when you talk about like, like a Kill Bill or a Kung Fu mm-hmm. movie, you've kind of got characters that are larger than life. They're a little ridiculous. They can't, be, they can't be killed. And you've got the character of Macduff, who is supposedly not able to be killed by anyone who was, quote, born of a woman, which right. means that someone else who was born. Of, no, it might not be Macduff. <laughs> it, I think Macduff is the guy who is able to kill him because he was born by C-section. It would be sweet if, like, um, like ultimately Macduff gets killed by um, an like, alien, like, like a like no, like a Keanu Reeves style like savior, but he's he's like the world's only butt baby. <laughs> he's he's a male ass baby, and he uh, and he's kind of like he's the chosen one because he came out of a male's ass, and uh, and you know he has sunglasses and goes whoa. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he sent me the script. The script he had actually started to write it, and um, he needed to take a screenwriting course. That's the nicest way to put it. He he, he didn't know. He didn't know what he was writing. Well, it was so bad. Luckily, I don't think my play suffers from that because uh, Chris Columbus and William Shakespeare have done all the hard work. I just have to make the mashup. Right, right, right. right. I, I'm, I'm. Uh, well, you wanted to do it as like an audio book at one time. Uh, that's going to come after we're done, kind of like the book that you and I are going to be talking about that we made together. Uh, that aww, aww. that will hopefully be an audio book uh, soon didn't after. Didn't you? Well, if you're going to write a if, if, if the plan was to make uh, the Stoutfire Shakespeare play into a play, was it just to have it as a written play or did you actually want to try to like put it up on its oh, feet? Oh, no, it would just to be just to be a written work, kind of like Hello? Two Gentlemen of Lebowski is a book that you can buy. Yeah, but your goals are short, man. You should get that up on its feet. Your goals are short, man. That's the story of my life. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't need things to be too lofty. I've, that's just disappointment. 
Too bad. Um, people would go to see that. They know it's like um, you can literally call it. Uh, uh, what was the wait? What was the Shakespearean play? Is it just in Shakespearean language, or is it meant to be a Shakespearean work mashed up with it? Uh, we are making all the references to be Shakespearean era correct. Like any Robin Williams movie, you're going to have him going off into his references. He talks about Mick Jagger. He talks about Mr. Rogers. He talks about Dances with Wolves. He talks about all kinds of things. There's a line where his... Um, Dude looketh like a lady. Uh, the gentleman doth resemble a lady. Indeed, he doth resemble a lady. Yeah, we're, we are translating <laughs> the songs as well. Uh, yeah. That's good. Somebody should sing it off camera. <laughs> like the, like the, the Greek chorus. Yeah, exactly. That's what we've got is the chorus. Uh, that's very right. fun. There is a scene where Miranda, played by Sally Field, comes in and he says he's commenting on the jacket that she's wearing because it's got like an Indian print on it. And he says this lovely dances with wolves motif. Well, they don't really have. Yeah, it's not that funny. I know you're making you're grimacing because it's a Robin Williams joke. And it, you could you could literally advertise this as Shakespeare meets Mrs. Doubtfire. And then, they, you know, they show up and it's like, no, that's. That wasn't a way to describe it. That's what it is. <laughs> it does have it does yeah. have a lot of Shakespearean themes. And it, so let me just finish that off so it's not hanging. But so yeah, finish yeah it there's no dances with wolves in that time period. And so what we've turned it into is him saying she's dressed like a Muslim, more or less. Uh, and so what's your what's your Muslim name? Allah Allah money been spent. Yeah, that's oh. that, yeah. Because he says, what's your Indian name? Shops with a fist was in the, in the line in the movie. So that kind of joke gets you killed. I, I can never air this. No, oh, my bad. Um, so it's it's a so, changing of references like that. He says, Mr. Rogers, we've changed that to Rothgar, which is the 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 king in Beowulf. So it's very cute. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I, I would love to see you. Uh, where does where does it stand right now? Uh, well, there is a line in Mrs. Doubtfire where he says. It's not over. It's just on hiatus, which yeah. in reference to his marriage. So it's not over. It's just mm-hmm. on hiatus. Now that uh, once our book, uh, once more weight is finished, that'll be some weight off of my shoulders. I might be able to get back into it. Because you have a, a podcast now nowadays. Uh, I do. And this, you could easily send this out as a podcast. Maybe. As a little, you know, uh, 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 what do you call it? What was the, you know, the... Um, Oh, why can't I think of the term? You know, in the 30s when they would do a radio play? Uh, radio maybe. play? You could do it as a radio I, play. I am writing it with my brother. Um, he's my creative collaborator. He uh, he also did some work for More Weight and for my podcast. He's been on an episode and he designed the logo. Uh, he designed the book cover for you. Yeah, so let's not tickle the balls any further. Let's <laughs> let's let's just start sucking it off. So the... Uh, <laughs> On my show, anything goes. Does it? I, I meant to ask because it seems like of any of the Red Cow shows, this would be the one that would go on the radio. I mean, you are. This is the one we could we could put up on PBS, or right? Because yeah. you are so you're kind to all your guests in a way that maybe you're not <laughs> normally. You're you're very gentle and hosty. Yeah, in a in in a, a Hawaii Aaron environment. Um, yes, I become irreverent, but. What you hear on Discount Film School is the way I treat people in everyday life. I'm very nice to people. Not just nice, but very, it's professional, so. Yeah, yeah. But we do swear. Okay. Um, that's, that's, to- that's totally fine. Because we're adults and we can speak any way we okay. want. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, 
I started writing the uh, the book as a blog, as I mentioned, and then I realized that it was a book when I was I don't know thirty pages into it, and and had had not even gotten to the part where we were shooting. Um, then I discovered that I was like, you know, it, it, it seems like kind of a mistake to, to write a book that's only about having fun up there when there's so many other experiences. And in the fun finished book, there's you know a lot of stuff that, that maybe you've heard on the podcasts or whatever else. It's not necessarily in there, but we did try to kind of make having fun up there the centerpiece of the book with um, – if you had never actually heard of me before or you were just getting into me, it could still tell at least a brief history of everything that came before it and everything after it. And it, and it, I wrote it with, with the hope of, of it acting as a, you know, anecdotes that might help you make your movie. So I, I uh, sent it to Emily to just read because I share with her almost everything that I make. And she was like, Oh, I'm going to edit it for you. Right. So what I thought that meant was she was going to go into Microsoft word and be like, use this word, not that word and fix my punctuation and all that. Then before I knew it, she was sending me this like PDF of it all laid out like a real grown up book, uh, a, b- a big boy book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and suddenly I realized like Emily is, this is like, I just struck her, her wheelhouse. This is what she does. And, um, and she can be like a tremendous partner in this. It's so true. I, I don't know that we've pointed out what I do professionally. I, I lay out newspaper pages. I'm a, page designer again the only one who is not a journalist and not the only one who is not a graphic designer but somehow i keep my head above water laying out stuff in indesign yeah uh i remember i uh, we we have printed a prototype of the paperback and i i decided that your credit was edited and laid out uh editing and layout by um which is not a typical credit and kyle of course like that's a weird edit but um (laughs) but or a weird uh, credit rather but i uh i thought that it best summed it up and you're and you're the author and that's one thing that i tried to do when editing the the book was to not cramp your style because your writing is is very distinctive and i think that i know you well enough that if i needed to go in and ghostwrite a little bit i could still stay in the tone that you were going for i was impressed i mean if you can trick the author into thinking making him think that he wrote something he didn't (laughs) then uh you've succeeded i think so what were some of the challenges when, you know, I, I handed you um, a mostly finished version of this. What did you tell yourself you were going to bring to it? And, and what have you found? Is, is this, in fact, your first book? And what have you found to be hard? It is it? my first book, and I'm very excited to see it. Uh, you've shown me the prototype over Skype, and you've shown yep. me pictures of it. And it looks great, but it's not going to take the place of having that book in my hands, as we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah. Digital does not cut it. Uh, so did you get a little flutter in your heart when you oh, saw it? You're like, Oh my God, I, of course you did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to yeah. see it when it's done. It's kind of sad to see it as a prototype and know it's not finished. Cause you, you held it up and you flipped over like the back where there are a bunch of empty blank pages. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we're working on getting those filled in. Uh, as far as, cha- as close. far as challenges, uh, something that you and I've been dealing with recently is that you wrote the chapters about, Abo and 10 pounds a long time ago. Um, I don't know what mm. year that was approximately, but it would have been like 2008. Yeah. So your writing style has changed. There's a definite difference. We thought we could just plug it in, just stick it in as the first chapter and it would be done. And that's not the case. So um, we've been doing some editing, trying to get it in line with the style and the tone. Right. Uh, a little bit of that on the sexually frank chapter as well, but not quite as much. Cause that one is more recent. 
Um, yeah, I probably wrote that in like 2012. But that one I think we also expected to plug in and just let yeah. it flow. But that has references to the movie that you're about to make, which is what the rest of the book is about. So things like that have to be edited out. Yeah. Um, we're yeah. facing a few technical difficulties. Um, we have asides in the book. We have commentary written by Jeff Teruli, the writer of Having Fun Up There, um, John Hunt, Kyle Gage. Um, and there are specific places in the text where those are supposed to fall and they don't always fall perfectly. So we're dealing with that, uh, making sure that the photos by Bonica Ayala look as beautiful as they do digitally as well as printed. So I had not even really told her that we were writing a book. We were just kind of using her photos. And then I went to ask for an unwatermarked version of each photo. And she's like, wait a minute, you're going to be printing these. I was like, yeah, she was like, hang on. <laughs> and she retouched them all to be, uh, I guess, print friendly. And she knows something. About oh, great. That. Well, I mean, there's a difference in like the file type. Like if you want to mm. use RGB, that looks great digitally. If you want to use CMYK, that's what you want to use when it's printed. This is like way outside my wheelhouse. Oh, okay. And then there's higher res versions. So, that there are a few things I'm going to need to look at. You complain that they look a little pixelated, so I'm going to have to figure out the best way to get them, get them situated. I might be wrong. I I, I don't know. I, I, it might be the way that it linked up on my. And computer. that's true too. And it, that's the thing about InDesign is that if you don't leave the files when they're linked exactly where they're at, you have to go back in and make sure that they point exactly to it because it'll print out a version of it, but it'll be blurry. And we deal with that at the newspaper. Sometimes the ads aren't linked properly. And you have to make sure the ads come through clearly. Had you ever heard of Lulu.com, which is what we're using for self-publishing? Uh, I think what I had heard of first was Lulu, the, um, which is a rating system for women to use to write reviews of men that they've, right. that they've slept with or dated or had crushes on or whatever. It's, it's considered to be very, um, uh, I don't know. Tra trashy? trashy? I, I, I was going to say sexist, but I don't know if it's true, but... Yeah, it's supposedly I, it's it's aimed for women younger than me, so I'm not sure that I can ever see the appeal. But to to real rag mm -hmm. <laughs> for for bitches on the rag, yes. But it has nothing to do with no with, no. Uh, I think that is Lulu.com. Yeah, but I found Lulu.com when I had uh, was trying to search for the other thing out of curiosity, not to review a guy, even though I have reviewed a guy once. I remember um, the I I didn't know much about it. What I do know is that. Kyle Gage had written a book about social media last year and he gave me a copy of a paperback and I was like, Oh my God, it's kind of appealed again to my, my sense of make your own. And I was like, you, this is a book. Like, like books are made by bookstores, but no, he made a book. Right. And, um, <laughs> and I read it and I, I was like, why, why don't I have a damn book? I think my, my um, first exposure to it was, um, I used to host Lone Holdout with, with a co-host. Uh, I had a male co-host named Tycho. Um, that's a, that's a pseudonym for him. And under his actual name, he had printed a few books of short stories. Um, there might have been some poetry. I'm not sure. But he told me about self-publishing. So I, yeah. I looked at it uh, when he directed me there. I remember my second uh, exposure to it was we had a uh, – there's, there's a film reviewer uh, who actually listens to this podcast, and he was um, – uh, uh, he was a, a guest on it one time. His name is Ronnie Carlson. He's from uh, Sweden. And he told me that Jason McHugh, producer of Cannibal the Musical, which is a movie that we talk about a lot on the show, Jason was actually on the show. And we talked about his book. I picked the book up and, thinking that it was published in some way because it was about you know a major movie director and, and all these things. 
And instead, he personally sent me a copy of a book. And and he, at the time, he was like, "I don't really have many right now. I need to print more of them." And I was and I, when I read it, it was totally unproofed. Like you could tell there was a lot of typos and little mistakes throughout it. So I was like, "This is definitely self-published." I think. And I was like, "Again, why don't I make one of these?" Right. And so like it looked good, but you could tell that the content wasn't wasn't quite there. Plus, it didn't have a barcode it go, on it, yeah. right? I think these did because the the. Uh, Lulu does uh, does issue barcodes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It's yeah. So you they they'll every time you create a new book, they'll issue a barcode. You should put that on your cover, and then the only reason to do it is so that you can sell paper copies um, through Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is kind of a luxury of the times we're living in that self-publishing isn't considered kind of trashy, out of your garage kind of thing. Um, I've been listening to a podcast by Maddox, uh, one of the early satirists satirists from the internet satirists Satirists. he um (laughs) he runs the website the greatest website page on the internet or i don't know you've probably seen it it's very lo-fi it's just white text on a black background uh he's very heavily quoted he wrote the alphabet of manliness um and so when he started to discover his writing career he and this is something he talks about on the podcast. Self-publishing wasn't really a thing. Lulu was not around. The best option you'd have for self-publishing would be, you know, plastic comb-bound things that you printed up yourself at your right. house. Well, I mean, what kind of asshole would would have a problem with you know? I mean, if you if if anybody has a problem with making your own units and selling them, then the <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to have much respect for the work that I do. But I mean, everybody, the, the fact of the matter is, is like very few people walk into bookstores and buy books. Um, we buy almost all of our books from, from the internet. Um, even Barnes and Noble at this point, uh, my wife belongs to their, their book club membership and they have a giant online business. And so, um, and I believe I believe Lulu has options for the Nook and for various other things, if formats and deliveries. Well, one of the stories you um, tell about having shown having fun up there to your parents was that your mom's comment was, "This looks like a real movie." And yeah, so, which is like, come on, this is like the fourth movie. I've exactly, made. and it is a real movie. Well, if you talk about a yeah. book that's plastic comb bound from some guy's garage, that is a book. But yeah. something from Lulu or, you know, something with an actual nice cover with actual editing that went into it. This looks like a real book. So I think there's a you difference was, in the dignity of it. Like, you know what feels real and what doesn't. You know what I was telling Nina yesterday was I, I have found myself. Um, I'm a filmmaker, first and foremost. It's who I am. It's what I do. But I have now written a book. I do podcasts. I've done animations. Um, and I've found that different people have different relationships to various formats. Um, some people have never really quite gotten the film thing. Yeah. They're like, they don't really have a relationship with movies, so they don't really know. I'm what I very made. shocked to find out that so few people have a real relationship with podcasts. It's something I care for quite a bit, um, in doing it, listening to it. Um, it, it shapes a lot of the things that I think about the way that I formulate conversations. It's a big part. And there are very few people who understand and share that. But that kind of, I mean, that, that was what birthed our friendship was like you, yeah, you were a movie person. You always respected and followed my work, but you, I think I really hit you on the level with podcasts. Right. That seemed to be your thing. You were like, Ooh, podcasts. Like I, I, I get that. I respond right. to that. Um, and, and Aaron as well. Like Aaron, you know, I always was trying to plug Aaron St. Lauren into some format cause he's such a funny, interesting guy. But he's also so chaotic. And, you can't pin him down to put him in a movie. 
Yeah, you, you can't get him to write with you. You can't get it. You can't. He doesn't translate into writing anyway. I don't think. It, no, no. He is. He's wonderful in an audio format. I'm sure he's He's great in a video format too. But yeah, check out Huawei for our most recent <laughs> video podcast. Yeah, it's coming out. I soon. was not there, but, but yeah, I was if, mentioned supposedly. <laughs> you are yes. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you tried to write Aaron dialogue or Aaron, uh, you know. Modes of communication. You can't. He's a force. Uh, of, he's a force gave, of nature. Yeah, you gave it to some other actor. It's not going to happen. Um, we, although we did do that somewhat in Sexually Frank, John Ryan kind of plays a, an Aaron-esque character. Um, but yeah, uh, and and now I'm finding with you know, my mom, as as I said in the book, who never, um, she's always like, yeah, I saw your movie, whatever. <laughs> um, I told her, I was like, well, we printed out a prototype of the book. And before I had the sentence out, she was like, where is it? Because my mom really like loves books. She, that, that is the relationship she has. She wants to see her son have written. I don't a think book. I've heard this story. So uh, what did she say? I've heard John, John well, Hunt's I, reviews. He, oh, he does not he care for justified it. text. And nitpicked it to death. Um, <laughs> and we, we, we got in a, a bit of a bitch session about it with one another. But, um, and, and that's, that's something by the way that like, uh, like I respect the fact that people have their professions and that they, want to see consistent styling and I do too, but, uh, s- like font and graphic design snobs, I think are some of the worst people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't understand that. Like to me, the important thing is you pick a style, you're consistent with it. And then from there it's all subjective. True. And the thing is that when you're working freelance or you're working as an editor, you've only got so much control. You are not, you are not the artist. You are improving the art. And that's kind of something I have to learn to let go on. It's not, I do not get the final say on most of these things. I can come up with a style sheet. I can keep us consistent with like how we write out digits versus the words of numbers. That's just a small part of it. But the rest of it, I kind of have to let go and defer to the artist's vision, which is you. I found you to be really delightful. Like I, I, I was really impressed by how much you were like all of your work was in service of what I was writing as in, and I, I wouldn't have even minded if you were like, uh, do you mind if I take a crack at writing this paragraph or something? Well, that's like cause that. I didn't like, ask I permission. Have... I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> you just did it. Uh, yeah. There's right, a couple spots. Um, so, you know, uh, cause, cause yeah, often when you see written by Frankie friend, and I'm like, yeah. um, it, normally that means that like really the, you know, the celebrity type, which is not me, but it, <laughs> let's take me for a minute and say that I'm, I'm that guy didn't really write their book, but I really did. Absolutely. This is not ghost written um, by me. I, yeah, I just fix some spelling. <laughs> which yeah, for, I, I didn't have spell check on during uh, any of it. I don't know why I should have. Uh, I think I was just like uh, like leaving it up to you entirely. I kind of wanted it to be a human corrected process. You were testing me, but yeah. But my mom, my mom instantly was like, uh, "Let's see this book," and I did not show it to her. Oh. Um, I didn't even have I didn't have it on me. You're gonna wait till there's a finished uh, version. I'm gonna wait till there's a clean version because oh. if you if you if you open that thing, you will see nothing but you know apps of fucking lootlies. Abo the you know. fucking hue monkey, which we had to figure yeah. out how do I tell a size. Yeah, you don't italicize the fucking, yeah. uh, but you do italicize anything that went goes into the title. So yeah, um, uh, I'll have to clean it up and then. And Which then is interesting because some of the things that stand out to me the most are references to taking dumps. Actually, so John says he felt like he was taking a dump on the entire production. Mm. Uh, at one point, you said not to be romantic, but it was as relieving as taking the world's biggest shit. 
which yeah, was yeah. probably my I was I read that at an airport and I was cracking up and looking like really? looking like a crazy person. So funny. I think I've actually since since you handed it back to me, I think I refashioned the way that was. I think you slightly. did, too, because you said you were annoyed by the way you used to be. You've you've matured as a writer. <laughs> You're a oh, I, I was annoyed. I was. Uh, yeah, I was annoyed by little strange habits like um, little parentheticals I would make or little like attempts at jokes and stuff like that. Whereas like I think that the joke can fold into the into the expression a lot of sure. times. So I I tried to I actually yeah, my last round of it, I did a lot of work on it. And maybe um, maybe that sure. joke just belongs to me now. Maybe it be- belongs. Yeah. I have to hold it in my heart. Oh, it's still in oh, there. Okay. It, uh, it's it just won't be in my mom's version. <laughs> Uh, it'll be more like, a, a, you know, like a, the <laughs> it was as relieving as going to the bathroom. <laughs> it was a big relief. The made for TV version for my mom. <laughs> no, I'll probably. And for and for your sake, I mean, I want uh, you're, you're you're still developing your career and I want this to be a nice resume piece for you. And I don't want you to have to worry about that. So uh, there will probably be I think when all is said and done, there will be copies that are clean and dirty available both you can get the r-rated one though i think i am beyond caring whether or not my oeuvre has a few swears in it because i do swear on my podcast true but if you were handing the book to a a potential boss and you were like this is something i did um you know maybe you don't want that to be an obstacle because i've i've come to a point where i've made a conscious decision to stop caring because when i Mm -hmm. also the idea of whether or not i want to consider myself a public figure. And this is probably something you went through. Uh, I go by my first and last name. I'm not afraid to tell a few personal details. It, um, yeah. And I find that a challenge when I'm bringing on podcast guests, people who only want to go by their first name or want to go by a pseudonym, which I think is ridiculous. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I'm afraid, but I do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was less afraid when I had a job that was, um, uh, not in management, uh, but, but as I find myself moving up the ladder of my career, uh, I, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, but I, I really don't know what the rules are at a certain point. I mean, well, like, and this is something that Dan Savage f- will talk about, talk about where it used to be very shocking to hear that a politician smoked weed or right. to see nude photos of somebody. Well, now that everybody has a camera on their phone, every, every interaction is recorded there, there can't be anything shocking anymore. I remember when I, when I got promoted, um, to a management position, they were telling me, they were like, now, so, so, so that, you know, your, your name now is, um, is very closely tied to the school. So you are not just an employee of the school. You are the school you represent us. And for some reason I was like, well, I make these movies that are kind of (laughs) dirty. And, uh, (laughs) and they were like, um, they stopped and were like, what is he talking? Like to, to, an HR person, she was probably was like, we just found out that Frankie Fran's a pornographer, <laughs> which you've been and, accused of before. Yeah. Right. And I said, which is in the book. It's a nice story in the book. Um, but I said, uh, well, it, you know, I, I, I'm saying they're narrative fiction films and they, they don't always have the, the politest language and they have some sexual content. You in get, them, but they're certainly you get not. rude and show butts. Yeah. We get rude and show a little butt. You know? <laughs> um, but she, she was like, do you want me to watch these movies and let you know? Well, well I, yes, but I, not I was like, yeah, red counter entertainment, red slash store. Um, but then I realized as I was talking that if I'm referring to sexually Frank, 
I graduated from their Masters of Fine Arts program with that film as my thesis. <laughs> the, the film belongs to the school. They have, you can go. They have put their stamp the, of approval on it already. You can go to the library and find the script off of a shelf. Like it's, it's, it's in the library. Yeah. So, um, this is where I have a hard time with like, um, what's acceptable behavior and what's not in the adult world. True. I, I, um, have tattoos. When my grandmother found out about these tattoos, she told me I would never get a job. And I remember during, during my job interview, I was trying to feel out whether or not that was actually acceptable. I said, so what is the dress code like? And she's like, well, it's kind of business casual. I'm like, after a few rounds of questions, I'm like, I've got tattoos is what I'm trying to say. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. We got a girl back there with pink hair and giant tattoos. You'll be fine. Yeah. 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 Often when we work in writing and the arts and stuff, there's, you know, there's people that are worse than us almost every right. time. Um, now, whether or not someday I become a vice president, we'll see. <laughs> but then suddenly they start digging up old master's thesis, calling them into question. Um so, so yeah, as we wrap up the book, uh, is it something that you're, I mean, I know it took up a lot of your time. Is it something that you're glad that you became involved? Absolutely. With? And I would do it again. Maybe somebody, maybe, maybe somebody within the sound of our voice is going to hire, hire me. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think they ought to, because you did a fantastic job. You were, um, like not only were you an employee of the book, but you also, I thought were like a total supporter of the content of the book. You, you, you are the second most expert on the content that's in there, not just as somebody who edited the book, but also somebody who's a fan of all the work that we well, did. Well, I think what we talked about um, that kind of made your heart growth resizes a little bit was when I told you the story of Vincente Minnelli and Judy Garland, and when she worked on Meet Me in St. Louis, and what made her fall in love with Vincente Minnelli was seeing that he saw her, not, you know, not as a little girl that needed to be, you know, made pretty, but that he could light her and dress her in a way that made her beautiful. She felt beautiful when he was putting his touch on her look and direction. And I felt that way about doing this work for you, that I wanted you to see that I saw you and that I could take your work and make it beautiful. It's extremely nice. And, um, and so now we have to tell people when they can read this thing, because uh, I think it's a good book. <laughs> I do, too. Um, and I think you and I kind of got these bouts of arrogance where we would just reread something or kind of just admire mm-hmm. the design and be like, God, this is fucking awesome. Look at this. Look yeah. at this thing. There are, I mean, I've had to read it a few times. And the, the it, As with making movies, um, you, you get overexposed to your own work and... Yeah, I'm now getting to a point where I don't want to look at it anymore. <laughs> but um, and per- but, but pretty but, soon you'll be passing it back to me, so I could yeah. fix a few layout issues, get it out. But I've had to reread it enough times without wanting cl- to claw my eyes out, and I think that that's a pretty good good uh, sign. Um, but I think for somebody, especially if they don't know anything about uh, our our world and they haven't necessarily listened to our podcast, but even if you have, I think there's. Wouldn't you agree that there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of unique to the book? Absolutely, and I am crazy about movie trivia. I will watch a movie and go straight to IMDb to read about the trivia, uh, the goofs, get onto the message boards, see what people had to say about it. I did it with all of the movies that you recommended that I watched for Lone Holdout that we mentioned earlier. Mm. Uh, so having an entire book as a companion to a movie, I think is yeah. pretty great. And I think if anybody and has a real affection for the movie, this is something they need to read. And there is advice in there, of course. There's like, we, ta- we take a stop and 
and deconstruct the way we approach a scene or we deconstruct um here's why you should go with with uh, non-union actors instead of union Absolutely. actors or kind of go into all that stuff um so there will be of course a paper book version that you can get on uh line my goal is to again have a clean version a clean version versus a dirty version there will be hardcover versus soft cover um you will will be able to buy them through Lulu, probably f- the paperback, probably for about fifteen dollars. Um, the the hardcover probably for like twenty. I think I'll set it at. And I think once uh, it's officially out, we'll probably put a bumper on the end of probably loan holdout as well as uh, discount film school, just to, to let you let you guys you. know that it's available. Yes, um, and then there's uh, there there will be. I'm not sure exactly how it will be delivered electronically or digitally, but probably just as a PDF somewhere. Um, you probably can you'll be able to grab it through PayPal on, on Red Cow or something. And then I'm going to be most certainly recording a, uh, uh, an audiobook of it. So all of the asides will also have uh, uh, the voices of the people who wrote them. It'll all be read by us. Um, it'll be, you know, however many hours it takes to read the whole book. And, um, you know, I don't know. I there, there's 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 selling that, and there's also just putting it up as a discount film school episode. I don't know. Uh, there's giving it away. Well, you could take a nice vacation and put that up for several weeks in a row. It's true. <laughs> it's yeah, probably gonna yeah, be long. Do, it's, it's an audio book. No, it's true. We could do we could do like a multi part thing instead of just one big episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be giving it away for free, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that the people who who want to see a Red Cow book will will buy a Red Cow book. And uh, the audiobook would just be a nice companion to it. Well, I think you and I are both artists in different ways. And I think both of us want our things to be seen and appreciated, whether or not we're making money off of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thesis of the book is is uh, give it away. <laughs> um, so so those are all the various things that are going to be happening uh, within the, the next couple of weeks and maybe like a month from now. That's that's what we are on track. Because to you're hoping to have it at your event that you're holding in Boston. Yes. Yeah, so that's it. if you are a Discount Film School listener and you haven't heard this yet, uh, September 27th, we're screening Having Fun Up There um, at Zuzu in Cambridge, which is uh, attached to the Middle East Bar and Restaurant. Um, it is free to get in. I am hosting. Uh, there will be a bartender there, so it's not an open bar, but you can, you can buy drinks. We're going to have live music uh, by Johnny Northrup. Um, and I think Jeff Torelli is going to be able to play drums for some of the songs from the movie and then we'll show it. We'll do a big Q and a, and, uh, maybe you'll be able to pick up the book there. It sounds amazing. I wish I could be there. You I'm going to try. You should come. Um, all right. We're going to close it here, but Emily, um, I can't thank you enough for, for signing on to do this crazy project. You, you are, I often describe John Hunt in my early days as taking like a dumb little idea that I had and actualizing it with resources and skill and talent. And you did exactly that for this book. This would not be the project that it is at all without you stepping in and going, Oh, I can do something. I I appreciate you you saying that. I'm glad you picked me for it. And I think you're hoping for there to be more of these books in the future. I think the cover says a discount film school series book. Right. So it's on you now. There's gotta be, there's more to be done. I keep adding peripheral content to every project that I make. Like there's a, there's like a long blooper reel to every single project we make. There's blogs to every project. There's commentaries, there's podcasts. And now we have to do goddamn books every time. 
you you make it very challenging to be a completist because there's just so much to complete. Exactly. Um, but thank you again. And everybody, uh, I hope to see you on September 27th. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. This ends our crossover episode. Go back to, seriously, go back to Lone Hoda. Listen to this girl. Oh, and I didn't get, give you a chance to promote yourself. To get, send it all up. Promote yourself. Promote yourself. So if you are interested in all the stuff I've had to say, uh, you could listen to me on Lone Holdout. That comes out every week on Fridays. Uh, it has a Facebook page, and that is just the way it sounds, Lone Holdout. You could tweet me at Lone Holdout. You could email me at loneholdout at redcowentertainment.com. It is a Red Cow product. Uh, Might I recommend several episodes of Lone Holdout real quick? Um, the very first episode, it was, it was a deconstruction of Duck Dynasty, which, which uh, I think was really That is good. probably uh, the one that people enjoy the most. There was a wonderful uh, one on Candy Crush, that terrible online That game. is probably my favorite. That, that has a very special place in my heart. If you'd like to find out about the genesis of our closing line, which is Don't Cook Naked, you would want to listen to, I believe, the third episode, which is about Beyonce. Yep, third episode, Beyonce. Um, I have guessed it on a number of them. I did this, uh, uh, we did a big Batman episode on these things called the Joker blogs. I was on a two part episode about Birdemic. So that's definitely for the discount film school people. They should go check that out. Um, I did one on the IT crowd and I also was there to talk about wrestling and to catch Emily when she was falling after a series <laughs> of, a series of failed Craigslist, uh, dates. And also um, we plan on you coming back to talk about the Star Wars prequels with my friend, mm. Father John, who was on an episode. He has never seen the Star Wars prequels. I'm going to try and catch him up and you can bring oh your internet Star Wars fame. Yeah. He should have to watch my cartoon though. To Absolutely. After, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. All right, Emily, thanks again. And we'll see you. I hope sometime soon. And please pick up the book.